is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible. Um, how many love the Word of God? Well, one of the, the reasons why we jump into the Word is because the way that we see Jesus affects the way that we act. How many of you have ever seen a kid and, or you, you know a parent, and then once you see the kid and the kid starts talking and starts moving their hands, they act and speak in the exact same way as their parents? How many have seen that? How many of you think that you act and speak the way that your parents speak? Yeah, you, everybody does. <laughs> Everybody's hands should be up. We don't think that our parents influence us or our kids influence us or, or people that are close to us, but the fact of the matter is that whatever we see and whatever we seek continually over a long period of time, it affects the way that we behave. And, and many times, or all the time, the way that we perceive God affects the way that we treat others. The way that we think God treats us affects the way that, that God treats others. And one of the things that that is amazing about the Word of God is that Jesus is always revealing more and more of who he is. And the scripture says that we will be like him when we see him for who he is. Amen? And so we all are growing in our understanding of who Jesus is as we learn more and more about him. And, and this past week, so uh, we're in this series called Miracles, and we're looking at the miracles of Jesus. Uh, there's seven miracles in the book of John and yet last week we looked at the first miracle where he turned the water into wine. And how many of you like that miracle? Jesus turning water into wine. Nobody wants to raise their hand. I don't drink wine. Honestly, how many people drink wine? And, no, you don't have to raise your hand. But he, he turned water into wine to answer a prayer that his mother gave him. She was patient enough, and she was expectant, and Jesus chose to reveal his deity for the first time by turning water into wine at a wedding, showing that he not only had control over time, because it takes time to ferment something, and he could do it instantly, but that he cared about the smallest of our concerns. You know, a lot of people would think that God doesn't care about that kind of stuff, but how many of you know that God cares deeply about the things that interest you. And sometimes when it's a small thing that God answers, and how many of you have experienced this, that when you pray and it's a small thing and God answers a small thing in your life, it actually shows that a, a type of love, a, a depth of love, because he cares about the little things in your life. How many of you have experienced that? that it, it's not just the huge answers to prayer, but it's the small answers to prayer that that reveal his love for us. And so today we're going to be looking at the next miracle that Jesus did. And this is a miracle that um, where there was a nobleman that came to Jesus because he had heard that Jesus was in town. And he walked a whole day because his son was sick at the, at the verge of death. And he walked a whole day from Capernaum all the way to Cana to ask Jesus to heal his son, to come with him to heal his son. And so that's what this, uh, this verse is from. But I want to kind of jump into three different points, and a couple of them helped me to see a little bit more the depth of who Jesus was. And, and I'm praying that it will affect the way that I act, because that's the whole reason why we want to know more about Jesus, is to affect the way that we are, our character. Amen? So there's three different points that I want to jump into today. 
Jesus loved people from all walks of life, that, and in honoring people from, or loving people from all walks of life, he went to places that were uncomfortable uh, for Jews to go into. Jesus not only loved people from all walks of life, but he honored those who put their faith into action. Sometimes we need to step into uncomfortable situations to see the power and, and the, uh, the heart of God. And the last thing, that Jesus healed people, and the whole reason why he healed people was so that they would believe in him. So we're going to jump into those three points today. Let's open by reading John 4, 49 and 50. Uh, this is just a, a clip from the story that we'll jump into today. The title is Breaking Down Barriers, the Healing Power of Jesus. Breaking Down Barriers, the Healing Power of Jesus. Uh, let's read this scripture at the count of three. One, two, three. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, or my child die. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And the end of the story is that his boy was healed. Let's, let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you want to speak to us this morning. I pray that as we jump into your word, that you'd help us to get a deeper glimpse into your character, not just to understand it, but God, shine your light in our hearts so that we would embrace who you are and the depth of who you are so that we can change, that you can change our lives. You said that we would be like you when we see you for who you are. So we pray that you would use us as your vessels and your instruments this year to touch people's lives, to see lives transform through your power and your miracle, your miracle working power in it, going through our lives to touch others. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, something that like, was really nice this past week was I heard my daughter, and she was talking to her friend, and she was saying that she enjoys hanging out with me. And that's nothing, I never hear that, ever. In fact, the vibe that she gives me is that she doesn't like hanging out with me, because I'm not cool enough. But she said, you know why I like to hang out with you? And I, I said, why? You like to hang out with me? Why? And, and she, then she like gets really quiet, and she's talking on the phone with her friend, and she tries to go somewhere where I can't hear her because she doesn't want me to hear because she knows that I'll you know, feel good about it. And she doesn't want that to happen. So, but she, I, I'm like, you know, trying to hear, and, and she says, I like hanging out with my dad because you know, whenever I don't have anything to do <laughs> and I just don't want to talk, he does all the talking. And he, he has a lot of good things to say most of the time. So if I have free time and I'm not doing anything, I like to hang out with him to get, you know, some wisdom and stuff. And I was like, wow. I never expected that. But it, it changed my perspective of why she does certain things because she was talking to someone that I probably wouldn't have heard. And it changes my interaction with her. In the same way, when we see something that Jesus does, a lot of times we could have a perception that's like, oh, Jesus did that because whatever. But when we understand the motive for why he did it, it can change our hearts. So I want to jump into it. How many of you have heard the story? So there's this, there's this story of him with the nobleman, but above that, there's the story of the Samaritan woman. How many of you have heard the story of the Samaritan woman where he goes into Samaria, and most Jews don't want to go to Samaria, but he makes a point to go into Samaria, talk to the Samaritan woman that nobody wants to talk to, none of the Jews want to talk to her, 
and he's nice enough to talk to her, and he tells her all about herself. She gets, she, she says, how can you take water from this well of our father Jacob? She says, our father Jacob, and she's a Samaritan, our father Jacob. And, and he's, he says, I'm greater than, I'm the Messiah. She, she embraces that and brings the whole town to Christ. And there's a revival, a small little revival in the city of Samaria. How many of you know that story? Well, now you know it because I, I kind of like summarized it, gave you the cliff notes of it. That story, I, I read this a whole lot of times. And when you read this story, how many of you read this story with the perspective like, man, those disciples are lame. If I was there, I would have been nice to that Samaritan woman. How many of you read that and think that you would have been the good you would have been the good disciple. How many of you? Be honest. Be honest. All of you think that you would have just like dissed the woman and just been racist? You think you would have been racist? Most, most of you? I read that story and I think I would have been the good one. I would have treated her nicely. I would have, I would have been just like Jesus because that's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. <laughs> you guys think the same thing. <laughs> I'm just more self-aware. I'm just joking. Um, how many of you want to know why the Jews hated Samaritans? You, you want to know why the Jews hated Samaritans? Okay, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read from... This is the reason why the Jews hated Samaritans. And when you, when you read why they hated them, you'll understand why they didn't want to talk to them, mess around with them, do it, you know. Okay, so this is from 2 Kings 17. And, and this is a, a record of what happened to Israel when they started walking away from God and they started doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So... In verse 5 of 17, this is 2 Kings, it says, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. Who lived in Samaria at that time? The Jews. Samaria was the place of Bethel. It was a place where their father, forefather, Jacob, had an encounter with God, saw angels ascending and descending, made these wells, and they all had these wells, and it was their wells from their father, who had this experience with God, and, and they inhabited this land of Samaria. And it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, this, the, king of, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the harbor, the river of Gozan, and the city of Medes. And so it was that this, the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. So I'm going to jump to verse 22. So, uh, well, verse 20, it says, The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, delivered them into the hands of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. Verse 22, it says, For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, and he had said, by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land, which was Samaria, to Assyria, as it is to this day. 
So why, did they ha why were the Israelites not in Samaria? Because they were pushed out by the Assyrians. God pushed them out of their own land. Okay, so how many of you would be happy if somebody, if God got mad at you because you were like doing lame stuff and then they came to your house and kicked you out of your house? That was given to you by your grandpa. How many would be like happy with that? Okay, so then it says, uh, the king of Assyria placed them in the city of Samaria, so took all these people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, uh, Sepharvaim, took all these people, and they placed them, all these foreigners placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they, all these other people, took possession of Samaria and dwelt in these cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. How many of you have read this story? It's a cool story, right? So all the Israelites are taken out of, Assyria, uh, taken out of Samaria, and the king of Assyria puts all these other people in Samaria instead. And they didn't fear God. And so what did God do? He sent lions to eat them. So this is what happened. So they spoke to the kingdom in verse 26, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them, and indeed, they are killing them because they don't know the rituals of the God of the land. Whose God is that? The God of Israel, right? So, then the king of Syria, Assyria commanded, saying, send there one of the priests whom you brought from there, and let him go back and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria, came back and dwelt in Bethel and taught them, Bethel's in Samaria, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make their own gods and put them in the shrines in the high places. The men of Babylon, the men of Sukkoth, the men of Kuth, the, the men of uh, Nergal, um, the Avites, uh, they burned their children in the fires. Uh, so they feared the Lord. So here, listen to this. So the priest comes back, teaches them about Jehovah, teaches them about the Israel God, and it says they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed to themselves priests of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from whom they were carried away. So there's this mixture. They're hearing the truth from an Israeli priest, from a Jewish priest, but, and they fear God, but they're trying to worship God in their own way. Isn't that interesting? And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor sh you shall fear other gods, but the Lord your God shall f uh, you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, this is in verse 41, 
yet they served their carved images, also their children and their children's children, and have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So these people were brought into their land, but they were taught the ways of Israel, but it was mixed up with their own ways. Okay, so if you go back to John, John 4. Now, if you were an Israelite, think about this. If you're an Israelite, they not only take a sacred land that belongs to you, because it was a land of your father's father's fathers, the land of your father Jacob. But this woman, when she talks to, to Jesus in, verse, in chapter 4, she says, um, Sir, there's nothing... There's nothing to draw water with. She's talking, she's in Samaria. She's talking to Jesus. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? So not only did they take their land, inhabit their land, they then stole their history. They're like, that's, that's our father. Jacob is our father. Isn't that, how many of you would, would be okay with that. That they're not just taking your land, a sacred land that God revealed himself to your great-grandfathers, but now they're saying, that's not your father, that's our father. And he gave us these wells. They're rewriting history now to accommodate them. And not only are they rewriting history and calling the Israeli father their father, but she says this, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And she's saying, where do we worship? And then Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Is that so cool? This is like, so not only do they take their land, they take their history, and then they take their religion because they can't, they're not going to, they're supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship, but because there's this rift between them, there's these priests in Samaria that are saying, you don't have to worship in Jerusalem. You can worship right here in Samaria. So then there's this division between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are saying, this is our land. This is our history. Our father Jacob, our wells, and we worship here in Samaria. And you guys got it all wrong. How many of you, if you were a Jew, would kind of hate these Samaritan people? for taking your sacred land, taking, rewriting history, taking ownership of your forefather, and taking your religion and changing it so that they're worshiping in Samaria instead of Jerusalem. I mean, there's a lot of things going on here. And, G and so the Jews are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm not even going to try to convince them that they're wrong. I'm not going to try to take my land back. If they want the land, fine, they can have it. I'm just going to walk around and, and get to where I'm going without going through Samaria because we just hate those guys. Do you guys kind of get the context of this situation? And Jesus, knowing the context, he goes into Samaria 
and he encounters this woman, and she genuinely has this question of, how do we worship? Because our fathers told us that we're supposed to worship this way, but the Jews say that we're supposed to worship this way. How, how do we, what, which way is right? And Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the one that everyone's looking for. And worship is not here or there, but people will learn to worship in spirit and in truth. And a whole city comes to Christ because of his love for a people group that was outcasted by the Jews. Does this remind you of anything? No? Is there any people group that is rewriting America's history? Is there any people group that is taking our land? Is there any people group that's rewriting morality? And how do we feel toward that people group? How do you think Jesus would operate in today's culture toward a people group who's taking land, taking business, stealing values, rewriting history? Are you guys following me? Jesus loved people from all walks of life. The story, the story of the Samaritan gives us insight into the depth of love that Jesus had toward all people, not just, not just the Jews. He cared enough to go into their space. The miracle happened in Samaria because he went to where they were. And all of the disciples must have felt very uncomfortable walking into that city. But Jesus felt right at home because he loved. And it, as I was reading this, I was thinking, there's places, there's people that I feel very uncomfortable with that don't think the way that I think, that it would take way too long to change the way that they think. You know, and, and because they don't think the way that I think, it's hard for me to love. But when I read this, I realized that Jesus loved them, didn't try to convince them, but did a miracle, and that miracle changed their hearts and lives. But that miracle couldn't happen unless he went into their space, unless he was around them so that he could manifest and show who he was to them. And I felt a challenge from God saying, do you have my heart? Like, can I use you to do miracles in the lives of people that, that you don't agree with? Are you even around them? Like, am I even around people that I don't agree with? Or do I, like, find places and spaces that just agree with my way of thinking? Number two, so Jesus not only went into uncomfortable spaces because he loved people from all walks of life, but but this is another way that miracles are brought, that Jesus works miracles. He honored those who put their faith into action. So the nobleman's action in seeking out, so let's just read that real quick. So this is John 4. Um, so 
So Jesus came again. So this, the background of the story is Jesus turned water into wine, and then he, he left. He went to Samaria, and then after he went to Samaria, he goes back to Cana, Cana of Galilee. And everybody around Galilee, they have heard now, the word is spreading of what happened in Samaria, of what happened in Cana, Cana. And this word is spreading now. And this nobleman, he's from Capernaum. It's a whole day's journey away from Cana. And he has a son that's sick, and he's thinking, man, I hear this guy does miracles. I wonder if I can get him to come and heal my son. So it says, Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water to wine. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judah into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see people see signs and wonders, you will not by no means believe. And the nobleman said, sir, please come. My child is dying. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed. Everyone say believed. Believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And he said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So the the second point in how Jesus does miracles is that he honored those who put their faith into action and put themselves not only in an uncomfortable people group, but an uncomfortable situation. The nobleman's action in seeking out Jesus and asking for help reveals the depth of his faith. He doesn't just believe in Jesus, he actively seeks him out and puts his trust in him. I heard it said, and I, I, I can't remember where I heard it, but in those days, one of, because when people died, they didn't have hospitals, they didn't have all these different things, it was a practice that the, fam- the most important thing when someone is dying is not to take them to a hospital, but it's to be around them when they die. And this gentleman, this nobleman, for him to leave his dying son to go a day's journey away showed an extreme faith in his heart that if he did that, he believed there's a greater chance, maybe, that Jesus could heal his son instead of him staying with his son and watching his son die. There was an action that this nobleman had, a faith that this nobleman had, that spurred him into action to leave his beloved son to implore Jesus to do a miracle. It wasn't just that he believed, but he stepped out and did something that when Jesus saw it, he said, you have faith, and I don't even need to go back to where you're from. Your son is healed. It was a faith that he had in his heart that spurred the power of God into action where he honored this man's faith because of that action, and a miracle was performed. It wasn't the most comfortable 
thing for this man to leave his son, but he left his son. Um, and I think that God will call us into places of uncomfortability. I was, um, we just had a, a pastor's meeting uh, with, how many of you remember Joe Onasai? You guys remember Joe Onasai? He's a, a former uh, Dallas Cowboys football player. He got injured, paralyzed, and was said that he would never walk again. And Tom Sorotnik, Sorotnik walked into the hospital room and said, get up! <laughs> and he said there was something that happened. He said that that word went straight into his body and he sat up and for, he could feel all of his extremities and got out of the wheelchair or got out of the bed and began to walk. He experienced supernatural healing when he was supposed to be paralyzed because of that football injury, and that started his journey of faith. And now he's a pastor on Oahu. And, and he said that, so we were in this, this meeting, and we were talking, and he said, so we are like, what's the most uncomfortable place that God ha has ever put you? And he said that, uh, you know, right after, he, he won second in the world, the strongest man competition on ESPN, and he said that that opened up all these opportunities for him, and his, his agent was Michael Green. Do you guys know Michael Green, the, the high-power attorney on Oahu? So M Michael Green, cool story. I met him once because I valley parked at his house when I was in college. My friend said, hey, you want to make some money valley parking? And I was like, who's this for? He was like, Michael Green. I was like, for real? So we go and anyway. He paid me $100. I got $100 from Michael Green when I was in college. Anyway. Um, so that was his agent, and his agent, uh, Michael Green, was also a good friend of Steven Seagal. And Steven Seagal uh, was shooting this movie, and it needed like this huge guy that he was going to fight against. And uh, so Michael Green said, hey, I, got, I know a big guy. His name's uh, Joe Onasai. So Joe Onasai is preaching for this youth group, and Steven Seagal calls Joe Onasai as he's preaching, and he looks at the phone, and he's like, I think I'll take this, in the middle of his message. And he goes, hello? And then he put the phone next to, he had a Nextel phone back then, he put the phone next to the microphone, and he said, hey, this is Steven Seagal. Uh, I want to hire you for a movie. Can you fly to Canada tonight? And he, all the kids were like, whoa, you know. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. So he, he uh, goes to meet Mike. Uh, Steven Seagal at Michael Green's house and he said as he pulls up his driveway the driveway is like half a football field long and there's strippers every 10 yards and he, he, he's, a, he's a pastor right and he's driving down this driveway with all these strippers and gets to the house of Michael Green and there's strippers all in the house because I guess Steven Seagal likes strippers. And this is getting podcasted. <laughs> like saying the, the names and everything. Um, but he said he went into the house and he meets Steven Seagal. And Steven Seagal, you know, he's like, man, wow, you're big. And he like does, you know, does some sparring with Joe Onasai. And then he says, yeah, you know, you hang around me. And look, this is, this is what you get. Like, look at all these girls. You can't have any one of these girls. And Joe Onasai said he looked at him and a word of God came over him and he said, you know, you can try to, 
you can try to fill the void in your heart with all this stuff, but you're going to be empty until you have Christ. And he said, instantly, Stephen Segal just started bawling, crying, and hugged him and said, you're my spiritual brother, man. <laughs> and he's Buddhist. But, and when he said that, he actually later on was telling Joe that he believes in a previous life they were brothers. <laughs> but he's like, you're my brother, man. <laughs> and, and Joe just starts praying for him and found out later that he was going through a divorce at that, that same time. And he was trying to fill this void. And, and then so, you know, he got... He got counsel and acted in this movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but uh, he actually had to fly to Canada, and it was supposed to be in this, this uh, alley that the fight happened, but instead they made it in a strip club. And so he makes this movie in a strip club and then comes back, and he, he, all the people in church were like, what? You were in a strip club? And then so they told everybody, don't watch the movie, and everyone watched it. <laughs> But Steven Seagal, till this day, knows Joe Onasai for his faith. And Joe Onasai impacted him in a time that he needed the Lord. And he's not a Christian yet, but the seeds were planted because he stepped out into a situation that was uncomfortable. So miracles happen when we step, step into uncomfortable situations. And the last thing, Jesus healed people and the whole reason why he performed miracles was so that people could believe in him. God wants to perform miracles through our lives, in the lives of people that are surrounding us. And he loves people way more than we do. As, as I was going through this, one of the things that stuck out was verse 53. And so in John verse 53. After the boy comes to life and Jesus heals the boy from a one-day one, a one journey away, it says in verse 53, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Everyone say whole household. And when I read that whole household, that was what Jesus was after. He was after not just the noblemen. Jesus was after the whole household. And I felt that that was a word that we need to hear today. That God revealed himself to many of us here, if not all of us here. Why? It was not just for us. It was for us our household. Everyone say, our household. If you think about it, there's a lot of people here that your household is actually that other people group that you hate. Your household is that other people group that might have taken your land, that might have taken your inheritance, that might have offended you in a way that you have trouble forgiving. Your family might be that group that is the uncomfortable people group or that uncomfortable situation that you need help, you need faith to believe that God can do anything great with that people group. 
And I believe at the beginning of 2023, Jesus is saying that he cares about that people. He cares about your family. He cares about the people that might have offended you. He cares about the people that might have stolen from you, that might have, but that might have a different morality than you, that might have a different perspective, and that he is ready and he is willing to show himself powerful through your life. If you understand that the God that you serve, the God that you worship, has a heart for that people group that, that is passionate, just as passionate about them as he is for us. And he's looking for people that will say, hey, I'll step past my offense. I'll step past my comfort zone. I'll step past my, the previous things that have gone on. And I want to be a vessel that you use to work miracles for the purpose of them to believe in him. Amen? How many of you would want to see your household come to Christ? How many of you would want God to use you <laughs> to be the one to bring them to Christ? Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are here and that you want to work in all of our lives in miraculous ways so that people can know who you are. God, we pray that we would have your same heart and in the same way that you di even though you were a Jew, you didn't look at the offenses that the Samaritans did against you. You didn't look at all the, the, the wrong beliefs, the wrong way of living, but you went to their space to bless them to reveal yourself with miracles. And God, we pray that you'd work in every single one of our hearts, Lord, that we would have the same kind of love to forgive and overlook offense so that our families could come to know who you are. Lord, work in our hearts and work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, every person that you've called, Lord, to make a difference. Every person that represents a family, Lord, that you love and that you want to reach. God, I know even in my small circle of people, um, Lord, that there have been opportunities that have pre presented itself with crises and different things that have happened in the life of family. And God, we just pray for breakthrough. Lord, in Jesus' name, you are a miracle worker. You are a promise keeper. God, even when there is no human way, you said that with men, things might be impossible, but with you, all things are possible. God, we come before you this morning. God, we ask you, Lord, that you would do miracles in the life of our family members, those that have turned away from you, those that have walked away, those that have, uh, might have offended us in the process. God, we pray for forgiveness, for reconciliation. Lord, you said that where unity is, that you command a blessing. Lord, we pray for unity in every household. Lord, where there's dissension, where there's strife, where there's contention, where there's past offenses, God, we pray, Lord, that your spirit of peace, you are the prince of peace, God. We pray that that peace that passes understanding, Lord, that that, that would 
saturate our lives. Lord, that we would be vessels of peace. Lord, that we would bring your presence into every circumstance, every situation. Lord, and as we come into this situation that you want to break into, Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves as that noble man did. And Lord, that we would be used by you to put ourselves in a place that seems impossible, but leaning on your capable hand, you are the healer. And Lord, we pray that this year would be a year of miracles, of physical miracles, of emotional miracles, of family breakthrough. God, we pray that you would lift our level of faith to believe, not just from a mental ascent, but God, that it would spark us into action. You said that you saw people and you were moved with compassion. And God, we pray, Lord, that that same compassion, Lord, that, that moved you into action, God, that that would fill our hearts, that that would fill our lives. Lord, that we would be moved and that you would use us to do amazing things this year. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, everyone said, amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe God will use you this year? Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face turn to you, shine upon you, and give you peace. Have a great week, and God bless you.